into the house of the Lord for worship this morning. We are so, so glad to have you with us. As you can see, we're celebrating. We're excited about all of the Operation Christmas Child collections we've been taking. So you can feel free to bring those up uh, during or after the service. Um, I want to welcome you, especially if it's your first time or maybe your first time back in a long time. We're especially glad to have you this morning as we are closing out our series through the books of Colossians and Philemon. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, I want to remind you, as always, our online hosts are available for you throughout the service. They'd love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. So engage in that chat. I encourage you to participate throughout the service. Our heart for you is that you would feel connected to what God is doing in this place, no matter where you are, no matter what you are walking through today. Well, I would love to invite you to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship, which today comes from the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this. He says, May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's worship Christ Jesus, our King, who is seated above all. Let's put our hands together this morning. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread.
to a time of scripture reading together this morning. And periodically here at Springbrook, we like to read scripture out loud together. And we do that because it is so powerful to hear your own voice speaking God's word over you and to hear the voices of your brothers and sisters around you speaking God's word into the atmosphere. These are inspired words from God. There is power in speaking his word. So we're going to read a short passage from Psalm 145 together. On each slide, I'll read the first line, and then we'll read the bolded text together. Let's proclaim his word together this morning. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's sing these truths about his kingdom together this morning. Your kingdom is simple, as simple as love. You welcomed the children, you stopped for the one. 
We want to see people the way Jesus does. Your kingdom is simple. Lord, teach it to us. Your kingdom is humble, as humble as death. This king is a savior who gave his last breath. So may we die daily, our pride lay to rest. His kingdom is humble, and the broken are blessed. Sing hallelujah.
Father, we love you. We love you as best as we know how. And we can only love you because you loved us first. We praise you for Jesus, that he is seated on the throne, that he is king over all, and that that is good news. The king of heaven reigns. We praise you that we are invited into your kingdom, that that is a right now reality we can participate in, we can take part in. We see the fruit in our lives, the way that you are working. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we praise you. And we thank you for grace that meets us, that meets us every day, for your mercies that are new every morning. Some of us in here this morning really need to feel a sense of that new mercy today. New mercy for our grief, new mercy for the places where we are falling short, where we feel like we are failing. We need new mercy for our families, for our bodies, for those we love who are facing illness. Father, pour out your mercy. And help us to see you. Give us eyes to see you at work in our circumstances, no matter how good or how difficult we know you're there. Will you help us to see you? Show us the ways your kingdom is all around us. Holy Spirit, just speak mercy into each heart this morning. Father, we love you and we need you. We ask for clarity today. We ask for eyes to see you and ears to hear your voice and hearts to receive fully what you have to offer us of yourself this morning. We pray all of these things in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King, who is indeed seated above on the throne, reigning over all. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. Uh, today is a very special day. We've got some exciting things going on today. We've got a baptism service. We've got uh, turkey baskets are coming in. Our Operation Christmas Child boxes are coming in. And so a lot to celebrate. We're finishing up our series through Colossians today. And so we are so glad that you are with us uh, to enjoy this day together. And so you should have uh, received a, a connection card. should be in your chair there. And so if you're in person with us this morning, if you could just take a moment to fill that out. If you're an adult, you can put your personal last name on there names of any adults that are with you, and there's a place for you to drop that in the back along with our tithes and offerings towards the back. So if you have any questions for us today, uh, please let us know. If you're watching with us online, uh, we're grateful that you're with us as well, and so you should have a connection uh, card that you can fill out there as well just to let us know that you were with us. So you can say hi in the chat. We've got our online uh, host there available for you to pray, answer any questions that you might have, and so we're so glad um, that you are with us. We have over 55 turkey baskets that have come in so far. I have a picture. We'll get it for the second service. Uh, but I know there's uh, Bill and uh, the team uh, were working on our turkey baskets. 55 baskets came in uh, last week. We're going to be able to bless uh, two different schools. So we have two schools with families that uh, we're going to be able to come alongside and bless. Uh, we've got some kids at a children's home that we're going to be able to bless. And then we have some families here at Springbrook we're going to be able to bless. And so I just want to thank you for those of you that either brought in or signed up 
uh, to uh, don make a donation for turkey baskets. And so you can go to springbrook.org slash baskets uh, if you still want to participate in that. But thank you for your generosity in that area. And then Operation Christmas Child, uh, we've been a host site for this week. We had over 200 boxes come into Springbrook um, so far. And so we will be collecting boxes today and tomorrow as well. And then they'll be being cased up, boxed up, and they're going to be shipped around the world uh, to kids as we share the love of Christ uh, and some gifts uh, for this Christmas season. And so thank you to everyone that brought in uh, a shoebox. And so if you did bring in a shoebox, be sure to get online. You can track that. You'll be able to see where uh, who gets it. And so you'll be able to interact with the uh, people on the website as well. Thank you to Becky Atkinson and that team uh, for doing our shoeboxes. And then uh, we also just rolled out that our ladies have been signing up for our Christmas tea coming up. And so ladies, if you're looking for an opportunity to get together with some other ladies, get to meet uh, some people and just just be enjoying and be encouraged in your faith. Uh, you want to be sure to sign up for that, springbrook.org slash tea. Uh, they're going to have some meal, they're going to have some food and some snacks and some desserts. And so all the information you need uh, for that event can be found on our website as well. And then today, um, we are also um, launching our uh, Informed Choices and Angel Tree Christmas trees. And so you can stop by and pick up uh, either an angel or a, a star uh, for one of the children that we're supporting in our community that um, we just have an opportunity to bless with a Christmas gift. And so if you want to know more information about that, um, you can go to our website again. This is all on our app as well. Uh, we need those angels and stars back by December uh, 11th. But today we're celebrating a baptism service. We have uh, Tony and Jen Gonzalez are going to be getting baptized today. So I want to ask Tony if uh, you could come out first. I think Tony's going to get baptized. And then his wife Jen's going to be getting baptized as well. And so it's been so encouraging for me just to be able to see how God's been at work in both of your lives uh, since you've been at Springbrook. I just said September. In the last two months you've been here, uh, God's done some amazing work. In fact, on your first Sunday, uh, you were wearing a blue shirt, I was wearing a blue shirt, and Mike Miller was wearing a blue shirt. So this poor guy was checking his kids, and we're all standing there. I was like, hey, look at it. We all look the same. Let's take our picture. And so Tony's looking at me. This is his first visit. And so Tony's standing there going, who is this guy? And so it was really exciting just to be able to get to meet you and see the work that God's been doing in your life uh, since you've been here. I told Laura Swepper, I said, I hope he'd come back. I hope I didn't do anything weird and scare him away. But, but uh, you came back, and uh, God's been at work. And so tell us a little bit, Tony, about uh, how you came to understand your need for a relationship with Christ. Um, freezing up on you guys here. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we've been out of church for a long time, and I just always felt uh, in my heart that something was missing from my life. And... I decided one day it's, it's time to go to church. I feel, I feel like that's it. And so we did. And I look forward to Sunday every week and just through scripture and the, reading my Bible every day, I understand, I came to understand that I need Jesus in my life. And, Amen. and uh, I know he's working through my life because so many good things have happened to me since I've started coming to church. Yeah. I, I, my life has been so much better. Yeah. I'm really encouraged by, you know, sometimes we talk about, hey, if you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ or what that looks like, it's been encouraging just to be able to talk with you and Jim both about this journey since you've been at Springbrook, how important God's Word's been to you, and just coming to that point where you realize, hey, I can't do this on my own. And so it was really exciting to be able to see you cross that line of faith. We're looking forward to celebrating your baptism today as a seal of that commitment that you've made, and so we're so glad that we could celebrate this day with you. So let's get you baptized, Tony. Okay. I know it's warm. You are going to come out of there, right? Let me take your glasses. Oh. <laughs> he was feeling the water earlier and goes, I might not get out of there. 
Tony, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Is it your desire to make him your Lord and Savior and follow him the rest of the days of your life? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's standing. I might need those. I, I always need mine. I think mine. <laughs> All right, Jen. Come on, here. Can we right here? <laughs> it has been so exciting for us just to be able to see how God's been working in your life as well. I know it's been fun to just to listen to the conversations that you and Tony have had about your faith and your, just your church background and what you're looking forward to, what God's going to be doing in your life. And so, tell us a little bit about when you came to understand your need for a relationship with Christ. Um, well, honestly, the past year has been by far one of the hardest years I've ever gone through, mm -hmm. and I felt like I had no one else to turn to, so I turned to, you know, God, and mm -hmm. since, like Tony said, since we've came here, and since we've started coming back to church, there's definitely that void that's been yeah. filled, and I'm, things have been getting a lot better, and yeah. so I'm definitely looking forward to yeah. continuing on this journey. For sure. Yeah, scripture talks about the fact that he lifts us up out of our miry pits and places our feet on firm ground. And so it was really encouraging for me to get to talk to you last week about what that faith commitment looks like, understanding that, you know, you don't have to be perfect before you make a faith commitment to get baptized. It's, in fact, it's about understanding that you're not, and that the Holy Spirit fills you, enables you to become Christ-like. It's a journey. And so it was really a privilege for me to get to be able to pray with you last week. And I'm looking forward to what God's going to be doing in and through your life. And so, uh, yeah, so glad we could celebrate this day with you. So let's baptize you today. Here, here your glasses there, too. Thank you. All right. Jen, do you believe that uh, Jesus Christ is God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that, uh, that he's going to return again to take you to be with him when he, when he does come back? Yes. That's your desire to follow him and make him the Lord and Savior of your life the rest of your days. Yes. Amen. Jen, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> well, if you or someone in your family have questions about baptism, would love the opportunity to talk with you. Uh, just please let us know. You can go to our website online on your communication card. We'd love to celebrate your baptism with you as well. Pastor Matt's going to be out in just a moment. I want to thank you for being with us today. So wonderful to be here with you all. What a wonderful thing to get to celebrate two baptisms this morning, two people declaring publicly the work Christ has done in them and the work he's doing through them. And the fact that we all get to come here and celebrate that together is such a gift that we all have. And as we 
as we step in today, this is our last week in the Above series, um, and I'm kind of having like a sorrow crisis because I've been enjoying being in Colossians so much, but really, I'm having a crisis right now that I'm just going to address at the start because today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and it's the week of Thanksgiving, and they're not related. I didn't say, oh, it's Thanksgiving week. We better make a sermon about Thanksgiving. Ah, no, no. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving today, and as we talk about it, I want you to hear this wasn't a, well, it's Thanksgiving week. We got to rope that in. This week is a week where we are looking at the secret sauce to the whole letter to the Colossians. This week, we are looking at the egg yolk and the ramen. This week, we are looking at the butter in every dish on the Thanksgiving table. Okay? Fine. I agree. Okay? This week, we are looking at the thing that binds our actions together in the letter to the Colossians. The, the way that we can live out the values that we've seen Paul writing about in Colossians and the thing we talked about last week in Philemon. If you haven't been here and you're like, well, I haven't been caught up, I'm going to do my best to catch you up as we go. But the, the biggest idea for today comes from a specific picture, and I'm, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask a question, and then we're going to read the passage for today. So we're going to kind of bounce around today a bit um, to summarize, but also consider. And so as we start today, I want to start by reading Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which is the anchor of everything we're talking about. And then after I read that, we will jump in to our study for this week. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you that he who was fully your image came and lived a perfect life. We thank you that he died a criminal's death. We thank you that he rose from the dead, proving that his death was for our sins. We thank you that we can be reconciled to him and to you through him. We thank you that he desired to have peace with us. I pray right now as we study your word this morning, as we come to the end of this series, that our faith would be strengthened as we considered the greatness of grace, as we consider the work of your son, as we consider the intentionality by which you saved us, that we might have a relationship with you. I thank you for Tony and Jen and for their stories and for the way you're working in their lives and I thank you for the way that you work in all of our lives if we turn and respond to you. I pray that you would give us ears to hear the message today and eyes to see what your word says. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the goal today is to consider a very simple question. And it's not really simple, but it is simple. 
What would it look like to be a living embodiment of the values put forward in the letters to the Colossians and Philemon? We've been talking about this for the last seven weeks. What would it look like to live this as we step forward each and every day? What would it look like to make this not a compartmentalized eight weeks of our life and make it a way in which we see the world and value it and value Christ inside it? And so to to talk about this, before we jump into our passage for today, which will be out of Colossians 4, we do need to consider where we've come from. We began this series in Colossians 1, 1 through 14, which gave us a picture of we're called to walk worthy of being citizens in Christ's kingdom. That's, we, we just, that last song we sang today just hit different for me today. But we, we are called to be citizens in this kingdom that is above the world, and we're called to live in this world as citizens there, bearing fruit and increasing in our knowledge of God. The king of that kingdom is Christ, and we just read this passage. Christ reigns above all in every way, and our prayer is that we would see his reign, we would recognize that he's made peace with us, and we would be able to someday, on the judgment day, stand before Christ the king because of the work he's done in us and through us, because we've walked worthy of our king. And then Paul talked about how we do not want to return to the old kingdom. The picture in Colossians is all the world because of sin. We were living in the domain of darkness, but through the work of Christ, God has made us citizens in his kingdom if we've responded to the gospel message, and we're called to not return to the old kingdom. We're called to put to death that old way of living and put on a new way of life. The, the baptism is a picture of being buried with Christ and rising again with him, being given new life with him, putting on the love that Christ has called us to. We're called to refuse cultural values and serve the Lord Christ instead. And if we're doing all of this well, Last week, we looked in Philemon about how it's a partnership between us. It's not something I do on my own in a vacuum, but it's something that's going to affect the way we live together, and it's going to affect the way everyone we interact with responds to us. Because if we're living out the kingdom values, that we sang that, I love that song, uh, we sang, your kingdom is backwards. And to the world, our kingdom is upside down, but if only they could open their eyes and see This is the way the world really is. In the first week of this series, we talked about an incredible quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer that then I said I'm paraphrasing because it's too many words. But essentially, what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said is Christ reigns. That's true. Becoming a Christian is opening your eyes to the fact that Christ already reigns. When I become a Christian, Christ does not change. But through the Holy Spirit, I am able to see what he has done and live in the world as I was created to live in it. And so that is where we are headed today. And sometimes we... What? What? Uh-oh. I clicked wrong. What did I do? Did I click too far? Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Sorry, everyone. I forgot that they're different. So... Okay. I didn't point that way when I clicked, and then it didn't work. So I'm going to read our passage for today, uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 18. And then we're going we're gonna to spend some time in verses 7 through 18, which is a conclusion. And then we're going to spend most of our time today in Colossians 4, 2 through 6, 
which is Paul's last thoughts. Um, and, and it's the secret sauce, the butter, the egg yolk. The, it's the thing. But I'm going to read our passage for today, starting at Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received the instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. As the letter ends, kind of the final things Paul says are, he wrote this, and he wrote this from prison inside a picture of, he says, pray for me that I would deliver the word. We're praying for you. We greet you. We're aware of what's going on there, and we're partnering with you. Um, I, I want to I wanna draw your attention to a few quick things here, and then we're going to, again, fin- finish on verses 2 through 6. So right away, Paul says in Colossians 4, 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my work. Now, we, re- we remember Tychicus is the one that Paul sends the letter with, but he doesn't just say Tychicus will do this. He says that's the reason Tychicus, Tychicus is coming. He also says, with the help of Onesimus, who is one of you. Now, if you remember what we've talked about the last couple weeks, Onesimus was a runaway slave that Paul invited to return. It's a very challenging thing for us to understand, but Paul is upending many values, and even at the end of the letter, he doesn't lose sight of that because Colossians 3.11 says there's no longer Greek or Jew, there's no longer slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And in that same vein, Paul mentions some of the people he works with are of a Jewish background. And you might say, well, he said there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Why is he mentioning some from a Jewish background? We'll get there. He also talks about Epaphras, who was the church planter who led to this church, and he desires to see you grow in maturity, to walk faithfully before the Lord. The same idea we've seen through the whole letter. This isn't just Paul's opinion. It's also the guy who knows you best says the same thing. He then mentions some of the workers who are of a Gentile background. And again, Gentile and Greek and Jew, we we might wonder about that, but we'll get there. Um, 
he then connects them to the network of other churches, the Church of Laodicea, the church at the house of Nympha. Um, we, the church of Laodicea, he mentions, send them your letter. Send it to the house of Nympha. He also mentions, make sure you read the letter I sent to them. Now, you may be wondering, why don't we have Laodiceans in our Bible? It's a good question. Um, he then says a personal challenge to Archippus. And you may be wondering, what does that challenge mean? It's a good question. He concludes with, I wrote this, remember my chains. And so in this conclusion, we see he doesn't give like this long message and then at the end said, all right, now that I've done all that, let me just give you a few last things. This is all on mission with the same ideas he's been talking about in the whole letter. When he talks about the Jews and the Gentiles who work with him, a, a fascinating thing there that, that I think I, we can argue, or people can argue about why he would mention some, because when he says there's some Jewish workers among me, some among the circumcision, we have to remember that to the, to the audience at Colossae, they were dealing with, there was a large Jewish population there telling them, all right, you want to follow the God of the Bible, that means you have to become Jewish. You have to get circumcised. You have to honor the Sabbath. You have to do these, all of these different things. And then on the other side, they were coming, most of the Colossian church were Gentiles and were coming from a Gentile background and were being told, hey, you can, you can just be a Gentile. Like the Romans are cool if you just say Jesus is a part of our pantheon. Quit saying Jesus is Lord. Quit saying Jesus is good news because you're, you're kind of slapping Caesar in the face. Just put just put Jesus into our already, what we already value. And so Paul in the middle of this is mentioning the two backgrounds and mentioning people who are no longer of them, but are of Christ, because Christ is the head and they are a part of that body. So we see this at the end of the letter. Now we're going to end on the big idea, the butter, the secret sauce, the milk in your, no, that doesn't work. Butter's the best example of what we're talking about today, but I don't want to do Thanksgiving imagery. It's the butter in your other meals on other holidays besides Thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with Thanksgiving. And the idea of Thanksgiving here is something we need to talk about. Um, if you've been following along with our curriculum, we have spent time in the curriculum talking about this, but from the pulpit, I've avoided it, not because I don't think we should talk about it, but because there's so much to talk about. Um, but at, as we come to the end of the letter, we're going to look today at all of the references to Thanksgiving that show up in Colossians. Right at the start of the letter, we, which is Paul and Timothy, we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then they give all these reasons that they're thankful to God the Father, but they thank God the Father. Later on in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, I only have 10 through 12 here because space, um, but they say, we're praying for you so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This is all like an idea here. That I think that's a semicolon starts kind of a new, we got to keep moving with a new thing. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks is not just a new idea. It's an idea that fits into all of this. And who do they give thanks to? The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Qualified you to be followers of God. Qualified you to be citizens in the kingdom where Jesus reigns. 
Colossians 2, 6, and 7, which is our next picture of Christian maturity. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is the first picture in Colossians of maturity. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is the next. You'll notice it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord walk in him. And now we come to our next picture, Colossians three fourteen through 17. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I hope you see a lot of thanksgiving here. Um, And then we come back to this passage. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The start of the letter was, whenever we pray for you, we give thanks to God the Father. The end of the letter is, continue also praying steadfastly, earnestly, being watchful in it with thanksgiving as well. Do what we are doing. Pray without ceasing and do it with thanksgiving. Now, we need to talk about this word, thanksgiving, because it's not about mashed potatoes. It's not a simple thing. It's not, hey, I'm just thankful in this month. It's not optimism. Okay? That's what I think I'm, I'm fighting against. It's not optimism, and it's not I don't have to work this week. It's not I get to watch football. It's not I get to slow down and be with my family for a day, and we're all going to fall asleep on the couch watching a football game for a team none of us care about. Thanksgiving in the letter to the Colossians is tied to a very specific idea. Thanksgiving in Colossians is a tangible, acknowledged awareness of grace. Thanksgiving in Colossians is a tangible, acknowledged awareness of grace. The word tangible means we we can define it. We can understand what it is. So it's not, God, I thank you. It's not that. There's got to be, it's got to be more robust than that. It's got to have more of a foundation than that. It's tangible. We can define it. It's acknowledged, which means it's something, it's not an assumed thing. It's something I'm I'm thinking about it. It's something that I recognize I need to be thankful for this. I define it. I need to be thankful for it. And it's also an awareness. And these might sound like the same exact thing. And I kept trying to just pick one of them. And then I kept thinking it was incomplete if I just did acknowledged or awareness. So it's, I need to be aware. I need to be thankful. I need to be able to define the thankfulness. And then I need to be thankful in the moment. Does that make sense? Like, it's, it's not just, I, I know I need to be thankful. It's being thankful in a specific way, in a specific moment, because I'm aware of what God is doing for me. And those are all words that we need to define, but the biggest word we need to define is the word grace. And the reason we need to define this word is because I think sometimes when we hear the word grace, we immediately think, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Like, we start thinking that, which is good, not a bad thing. But we also think of grace, we think of if, if you were born in 1986 and you were a big fan of the Newsboys and you had cassette tapes, there's a song where they said grace is when we don't get what we deserve and it's a real good thing. Ha, ha, it's a real good 
But no one listened to that song. It was the song right before Shine, I think, so everyone was like, just fast forward. Um, but but the, the point here is grace. Sometimes we think of grace as just salvation of when I die, I get to go to heaven. Our picture of grace is about someday long, far away. And the problem with that understanding grace is that we see grace used in the letters of Paul talking about a ready reality in which we exist. And the reason we need to talk about this is because grace and thanksgiving, this idea that we are talking about right now, is how in this moment can I identify the reign of Christ and how that is impacting me in tangible ways, how I need to be aware of it, and how I need to understand Christ's reign in such a way that it changes how I live. Grace is tied to every moment of every day. It's not just when I die, I get to go to heaven. It's something I'm experiencing right now because through the work of Christ, when he reconciled me, when he made peace through his death on the cross that I might be a citizen in his kingdom, when God made me a citizen of that kingdom, and for any of you who have responded to that message, when that happened in my life, I now on a daily, momentary, every moment, I get to experience the grace of God. If I would just believe it, if I would think about it, if I would have awareness of it, if I would seek it out, I would find that there is not a moment in my life when it is not tangible, when I can't acknowledge it, and when I can't have awareness of it. And so Thanksgiving is about a depth of understanding grace every moment of the day. In, in Greek, um, the word for grace is charis. The word for thanksgiving, depending on if it's a verb or a noun, is eucharisto or eucharissa. Or there, there's like a bunch, but by the way, eucharist, communion, it's the same word. And, and since we're not Catholics, we don't say eucharist, but it's not a bad thing because eucharist literally means thanksgiving. Um, we say communion instead, kind of six to a dozen and half a... But, but the, the point here... The point here is that Paul, over and over in this letter, wants us to be able to think about grace in clear and tangible ways that we can define, that we can speak, that we can have awareness of. When we talk about Jesus who is reigning above all when he is a king over every throne and dominion and ruler and authority, that means that in the moment in your day, that is the worst because your boss ticked you off, or because your toddler poured things everywhere, or when, when yesterday we had a board game night here and the heat wasn't working and it was freezing, and, and at first I was grumpy and I was like, well, I just want to leave now. And then I w- we had two people come who don't come to our church that just wanted to sit and play board games. And I was like, how lucky am I that I get to sit here with them and try and have spiritual conversations as they try and defeat me in space battles. But the, the point is, the point is, is I get, and, and it's, it can become so cheap because I can say, well, it's all about an attitude adjustment. And that's kind of part of it, but it's not an attitude adjustment where I'm the king on the throne thinking I get to do all these things. It's recognizing, Lord, in my frustration, in my struggles, in my best moments, in my worst moments, I am so grateful that it is you on the throne. And that is grace, recognizing that in clear and tangible ways. So when we come back to this and Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, he is saying, be aware of grace in everything you do. Be praying to God steadfastly, constantly, being the watchful, being on alert, being able to look to God in what is happening and 
offering up thanksgiving because of the grace he has given us. He goes on, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, I don't want to criticize Paul, but, and I don't, I don't want to criticize someone's prayer, but when it, instead of saying that God may open the door, why not a more specific prayer about not being in prison anymore? Hmm? Hmm? I, jo- I joke. I joke. I think it is the most amazing thing that at the end of this letter, Paul's prayer is not, pray that I would no longer be in chains. But the, la- the end of this is, I'm in prison, pray that I would make it clear how I ought to speak, that I would declare the gospel, that the Lord would give me opportunities in this moment when I wish I could visit you, but I can't. I struggle because I wish I could come. I wish I could encourage you in the flesh, but I can't. In the situation I am in, where it seems like all hope because of earthly authorities are here, I pray and I want you to pray for me that the authority who reigns above all would still use me that I would be a minister of that word. That is a thankfulness and a depth of thankfulness that says there is not a throne or dominion or ruler or authority that is in this, that Christ is not over. And so in this prayer, Paul is saying, as you do this, do not lose sight of me and the way that I can share. And then he goes on to say, you also walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, okay, we have to talk about the word outsiders. Because that's kind of a negative word, I think. I think. Um, No one nodded, so you might all think it's really positive. But if someone calls me an outsider, I feel hurt. Or if someone talks about outsiders, it means you're also talking about insiders. And, And so there's a situation happening here where if we don't watch what we're reading, we might think Paul is saying, well, if they're not Christians, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Don't spend your time with them. And the reason I say this is because when we read the letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 2, we see this picture of don't fall to their human philosophies. Don't fall to the old Jewish way of living. Don't fall to all of these different things. And so if we read this wrong, we might think Paul is saying, avoid them. Make best use of the time. Don't be around them. But that's not what's happening here. Paul is saying here, when he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, we have to tie it immediately back to him saying, hey, I'm in prison. Pray that I could declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And now when we read this, he's saying, you do the same. Walk in wisdom towards the outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Grace. Thanksgiving, gracious, and grace are all from the same root word. The language here would be pretty clear to that audience that there's a tie. When it says seasoned with salt, it means talk to the people, walk, talk to the outsiders, making the best use of the time. When it says seasoned of salt or with salt, it's saying don't talk to them in a way where they just think you're weird and never want to talk to you again. Don't go, and, and I, I mean this, and if you're a person who does this, I don't judge you, but maybe this passage will. Um, if you go downtown and scream at people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming, I don't think that's making the best use of the time. I think instead, building relationships, living in the communities in which we are, talking to the people around us, and pointing them toward the grace of God. When it says, let your speech always be gracious, it's not polite. 
because we're talking about grace, the thing we're aware of in thanksgiving. We're talking about a picture here that in English is very hard to put behind these Greek words. But Paul is saying here, let your speech point people to the grace of God and do it in such a way where they'll listen. That's something we are all called to. And then he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you know how you ought to answer, which is how I ought to speak, so that you also know that. Now this is very important because one of the hardest things in the letter to the Colossians is something that's happened every week so far. Every week so far we've been talking about living counterculturally. And we've been talking about things that without this passage would lead us to a very specific assumption about the way we should live. Um, When Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians and Philemon, when he wrote these letters, he wrote to a church that was in the middle of two major people groups that were pushing against this church. There were Jewish people that were pushing the Colossians and saying, all right, if you're going to follow the God of the Bible, you need to get circumcised. You need to do Sabbaths. You, you need to live by all the law of the Old Testament in order to receive salvation. And the Colossians were trying to figure out, well, they're saying things from the Bible. We're saying we want to follow Jesus, who was a Jew. Do we need to do all this stuff? And so they would have wondered, and they were struggling with this, and this was one thing that was captivating them and and in danger of moving them away from Christ, who reigns above all, and moving them back towards the domain of darkness. On the other side were the Gentile pagans. And when I say pagans here in our modern tongue, that sounds really weird, but no one was an atheist back then. Back then, they would have all worshipped at temples and had different practices that they followed to various degrees, but the Gentile people... They would have encouraged the Colossians to incorporate Christ into their Roman values. They would have said, don't call him, don't call him Lord. Just call him one of the gods. Keep coming to the things we do. Keep, keep being a part of the culture that you were born into. And Paul, in the middle of this, had to deal with the fact that both of these were pressing against them. And the danger was that the church would lose its identity in Christ. The other danger is that the church would do this. And the church would isolate itself and live without relationship with the community around it and would live in a way where they said, we reject this and we reject this. So somewhere in the middle of this was this picture of what they were supposed to do. And when we read this passage in light of the whole book leading up to this, Paul has laid it out for us that Jesus is king, he reigns above all. The kingdom where he reigns, if we follow him, is the kingdom where we are. If we are a part of that kingdom, we need to not go back to the old way of living. We need to reject the cultural values and assumptions that are not of Christ. And somehow, as we do that, we need to still walk in wisdom towards the outsiders because it's how we ought to answer each person. We need to live among them. We need to declare the gospel with the same boldness that Paul is doing in chains. And so Paul shifts the paradigm. Instead of being pressed in, he tells them throughout this letter to set their mind on things above. That is a PowerPoint throne that I created. And he's saying, look this way. You feel this pressure. You feel this pressure. Look this way. Because he is above all. He is before all. And if he is all of that, then you go this way. And when you go this way, you take him with you. 
And the more you do it and the more you do it, it's not just a picture for the Colossians. It's a picture of us today. We are to keep our minds set on things above, on this kingdom that is upside down from the values of the world. And we are to live in the world in such a way where we are impacting it, where it will respond to us and we will speak with grace, pointing them to grace, pointing them to a way of living that is so radically different but is so good. Because if, if the letter to Colossians is true, the one thing, and if the Bible is true, and I, of course I believe it's true or else I wouldn't work here, but um, if, if this letter is true, one of the key implications of this is that if Christ is king above all, the way that we are reading and the way that we believe, then it means he is king above all the people who have not yet acknowledged him and have not yet had their eyes open to the incredible grace that we have received. And so it is our job to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, letting our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the way to do this, the way to embody the values put forward in the letters to the Colossians and Philemon, the question we started with starts with a right understanding of thanksgiving, as we defined earlier. But out of that, the living embodiment of Colossians is a believer who can constantly offer up thanksgiving to Christ who reigns. If you can constantly do this, what it will mean is that in every situation in your life, you will be prepared to speak about grace seasoned with salt. You'll be able to tell people not just, I get to go to heaven when I die, but here is what Christ is tangibly doing in my life. A very important thing here, and oh man, I love Costco, okay? You, most of you know this. Um, I have, through the church, I have a Costco membership where I'm one of, I have tax exempt on my Costco card, and with that great power comes great responsibility. I am like Spider-Man, and when someone at our church needs help, I'm like Spider-Man after he became a good superhero. Um, I, when someone on our staff says, hey, I need to pick something up from Costco, I jump at it because one, I get free samples, and two, I get to go fill my tank up with gas. I just, I'm, I'm being honest here. So on Thursday morning, I went to get something for someone from our church from Costco. Got all the stuff, and I got back to the church, and someone else in the office went, oh, I need you to get me something. I was like, yes, because I went to Costco too early. I was a fool. I showed up at 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. Samples weren't out yet. And so at first I was like, sweet, I get to go back. And then reality dawned on me because I had a lunch meeting at like 11.30 in Huntley on 47 at Culver's. Wonderful place to go as well. But, but I had to go there, which is the opposite direction of Costco. I have so many things going on. I have to preach today. For school, I have a massive paper due. We're going to Iowa tomorrow to visit family for a holiday we're not going to name because it will obscure the point of the sermon. But, but we have all of these things happening, and all of the sudden, as I was driving to Culver's, I was a little grumpy. And I was like, you know, it's going to be fine. I offered to do it. I should do it. And then I was thinking, you know what? I should just text the person in the office and say, can I do it after I get back? And then I was like, no, I know that this item that they want is on sale because I know what everything is on sale at Costco because I'm in there enough. And I was like, so if I don't go now and then the sale ends, look at the financial burden I placed on this ministry. Um, And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go there. But I was grumpy as I got in my car because it was also cold. I got in my car to drive there after Culver's. Culver's made me happy. Driving to Costco made me unhappy. As I was driving, though, I was listening 
to this song, um, and it was a worship song, and it's a song about knowing that heaven is not like this world, but it's also a song about recognizing that this world, we are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven in this world. And I kept thinking, like, God, thank you that in my grumpiness, I have the ability to drive all over the place. Thank you that I'm driving a car we're borrowing, and the car we are driving right now gets warm super fast. Thank you for all of the blessings in this moment, and they were all like blessings of things I get. But then as I started driving there, I felt better. I got there, and usually when I get to Costco, when I want to go fast, I like, there's a route you take. You step in, immediately take a left, you walk by the optometrist, you don't make eye contact with them because you don't want them. They always feel hopeful, you're going to go, but you don't, and you walk all the way down the back, you cross over, you make sure you go to the, um, there's like a line, and you may, I, the point is, is I know how to get in and out of Costco really fast, but as I was walking in, uh, as I was walking in the parking lot, I saw like an old man that was moving really slow, and he was moving something from his cart to his truck like this, and it was not a heavy thing, and I, as I walked by him, I went, what, what's going, and and I just kept walking, and then I felt like the Lord was like, what? Stop. And so then I went back, and I said, hey, can I take your cart? And the guy, like, nodded and looked at me, and then looked at his cart and just stood there. And I realized he's sitting there. He was breathing heavy, and he was thinking, oh, my gosh, now I have to go faster. And I said, hey, can I unload your cart? And he said, yeah. And so I unloaded his cart for him, and he was like, thank you so much. I just got out of the hospital. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was like, well, God bless you. And we talked just a few minutes, but he had to go. He was clearly freezing and uncomfortable. So I was like, get in your car, sir, but God bless you. And then, so I went in. When I went in, I already had my cart, showed my little thing, walked in, went right back to where I needed to go. I didn't get samples at first because I was like, I do need to go kind of fast. And I just had cheese curds and a double cheeseburger. I've got enough in me. Um, And so then as I'm walking out, I get stopped by a sample lady and Full disclosure, I did get one sample because they've got these new pepper jack crisps, and they're delicious. Um, And I got them and went, wow, these are amazing. But the next sample lady saw me, and I was buying the same thing I had bought before. And she said, are those really that good? I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I saw you walking with these earlier. And I went, yeah. And I looked at her sample and went, I don't want that. And then we started talking, though, and she's like, why are you buying so many of these? And I was like, well, at my church, you know, we want to say thank you to our volunteers, and so I'm one of the pastors. And I got to say church like 400 times and talk about God's love like 400 times with this lady while she was standing there not passing out samples. And I'm not bothered she wasn't doing her job. It was a bad sample. No one was waiting for it. It's like a multigrain thing. But the point is, I got to talk for so long about Jesus because I was thinking about how thankful I was that God just gave me the ability to just go into Costco again. And then after that, when I got into the checkout line, the checkout line took forever, even though it shouldn't have, but it did because we didn't have a pen for the tax exempt. But then as we were sitting there, the lady in line behind me was like, oh, hey, just so you know, and she said something about the thing. And I went, oh, and she's like, and why are you buying so many? And I was like, church, 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 church. And then the other church, church, church. So I got to just declare how grateful I was for all the people at our church that volunteer and all the ways they serve and the chance that I have to just come and just be a part of helping bless them because they bless us so much. So I got to have this whole conversation about the partnership and community of our church that if I had gone in there with the attitude of this moment is about me, I would have just completely missed. And it's such a simple thing, but, but the point is in every moment Christ is king, am I aware of it? So... This is our outline 
for this week, the outline ends. We must have a constant awareness of tangible grace. And here's the thing. I mentioned the butter. A much better way to read the whole letter to Colossians would be to put the word thankful in every sentence. I am thankful I get to walk worthy, and we get to walk worthy of being citizens in Christ's kingdom. If you are here today and you are not sure you are a citizen in Christ's kingdom, know that if you believe that he died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and he reigns in heaven, that is the starting point of receiving grace. And he did that for each and every person. No matter what you have done, you are invited to be a part of his kingdom. And I am so thankful that I get that. I'm so thankful that all of you get that. I am thankful that Christ, who reigns above all in every way, humbled himself to make peace by the blood of his cross. And I'm thankful that he who reigns above all reigns over me and invites me to be a part of his kingdom. I'm thankful that nothing in this world, nothing in heaven, nothing visible or invisible can separate me from that. I am thankful that someday I will stand before Jesus and anyone who calls Jesus Lord, if we follow him, we will be able to stand on the judgment day before him, not because of what we do, but because of what he does through us. What an amazing gift. I'm thankful that we do not have to return to the old kingdom. I sin and I fall often, just like every other believer sins and falls often. But I'm thankful that I'm no longer a slave to this old way of living. I'm thankful that we can put to death the old way and put on the new. Even though I don't always do it, I'm thankful that the Lord is transforming me more and more to live and look like a new creation in his kingdom. I'm thankful that we can serve Christ instead of our culture, that the things in the world, in our immediate world and in the broader world that we look at and say, what on earth is going on? I am thankful that the throne of Christ is not submitted to any of those things and that I'm to submit to him. I'm thankful that we get a chance, if you are a believer, to radically partner together and live in such a way that we invite the world to see an upside-down kingdom where Jesus reigns that is so much better than the best this earth has to offer. And I'm thankful that we can constantly see grace in tangible ways when we consider the reign of Christ. Lastly here, and this is if you're a believer here and you're wondering, well, what do I do with this besides be thankful? The depth of a believer's ability to give thanks indicates the maturity of their faith. And what I mean by this is not how long you can pray. What I mean by this is we've spent this whole series talking about you have 168 hours. Every week, each person has 168 hours. And how many of these blocks, which all represent an hour, can you tangibly speak of what you know to be true about Christ and his reign? And how often do you acknowledge that? Because the more we can do that, the more we are living out what we were created to be in the first place and what we will be for all eternity if we've made Christ our Lord. So the goal in this final week is to really think through that. Our goal is to be a living embodiment of Colossians as a believer who can constantly offer up thanksgiving to Christ who reigns. And it's not just a believer, but a community of believers. And we need to remember that this idea of thanksgiving in Colossians is a tangible, acknowledged awareness of grace 
the reign of Christ and the way it impacts our future and our present. And the depth of our ability to give thanks indicates the maturity of our faith. You know, we started this series with a picture that when I show this picture, I always go, wait, what's wrong? Um, but, but it's right. Um, we started this series with a picture of the web telescope. And this is a picture of the web telescope of what the human eye can see. On our own, unaided, this is what space looks like far away. But then we talked about this whole other picture. It's the same exact picture, but the things that are outside the spectrum of human sight, when they're pushed in, this is what space in this one place looks like. And you can see like hundreds of these examples of the Webb telescope. But the, the point is, is we live in a world where we think we see the world and we see it in this dull way. And the good news of the gospel is that when Christ opens our eyes, when the Holy Spirit works in us, when we become believers, we all of the sudden see reality as it truly is. And the goal of being Christian is uh, being a Christian is to see that more and more in a community with others who do the same. I'm going to close. I'm going to I'm going to click past that. Um, as I close, I want to challenge you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, if you're here today and for the first time you're looking and you see something new because the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Christ reigns, come find me after the service. Come up front. We'll have our prayer team will be up here after the service. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions you have. Don't leave today wondering, am I a citizen in the kingdom of God? Leave today with assuredness. And if you're a citizen in the kingdom today, leave today thinking of how many opportunities you have each and every day, whether you're at Costco, the office, looking at a toddler who made a huge mess in their bedroom this morning, and when you called your wife, you could tell that it was a terrible morning, but she still took the time to pray with you, and that was pretty cool. The point is, in whatever moment you're in, think about ways to acknowledge grace and the reign of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you so much for your reign. We thank you for the fact that you are above all and before all. We thank you for the promises that we get to celebrate because of what you have done in us and through us. Father, I pray for those here who don't know you, that they would come to know you today, that your spirit would be moving. And I pray for all of us who do know you, that today we would walk graciously, our speech would be seasoned with salt, and we would speak as we ought to speak to everyone. We would not be outside this world, but inside this world, we would represent you well. As we sing this last song, we're going to sing a Christmas song, but it is also a Colossians song. I, I praise you that as we enter the Christmas season pretty quick here, if we haven't already, but I, I praise you that we are singing about the King who came in the form of an infant, the one who reigns above every throne and dominion and ruler and authority was born on this earth so long ago. And I praise you that we can reflect on that. I pray that every time we hear a Christmas song this holiday season, we would remember the grace we are experiencing even now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together one more time in body or spirit. Let's respond to the word we have received this morning, celebrating Christ Jesus, who is our King.
God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Go and repeat the sounding joy.